Hello, everyone, and welcome to week three of Black History Bootcamp, the Cosmonauts edition. That was none other than Nina Simone singing Young, Gifted, and Black, and she was singing that in part about her friend who we're going to talk about today, Lorraine Hansberry. Morgan, are you on the line? Are you out walking somewhere? I'm there. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Morgan? I'm good. I'm a little bit sick. I'm sitting on my porch. I'm enjoying my life. I'm not walking today. I'm going to pick it back up on Sunday, get my day five in. Listen, some days y'all got to rest. And I know it's a walking podcast and I know I'm the host. I'm supposed to be walking, (laughs) but I don't feel good and I'm tired and I'm sitting down. It's, Um, It's good to talk to you today, Vanessa. I can't wait to hear about Lorraine Hansberry. It's been such a powerful series for me, personally, learning about these women. It really has. And I was reading tweets and all, you guys be commenting using Black History Bootcamp, and I appreciate it because that feedback is helpful. It's great talking to Vanessa, but we got to remember sometimes it'd be a gang of people listening. So hi, y'all. Keep on tweeting. You read them. I just heard that somebody from the the Federal Reserve be listening to this. I was like, boy, we run deep. We run deep because some of y'all... Street hustlers and some of y'all at the Federal Reserve. I'm saying that's good. So I feel like I'm on cough medicine and I ain't even on cough medicine. I'm feeling good. <laughs> you sound like you so, look. Put a little henny in the drink and you're going to be good. I Bye. thought about this for that stuff because <laughs> while I'm sitting on my porch, I was like, let me pour me some wine. But I have promised God I ain't never going to do no more girl trick stuff. Tipsy. I told God, I said, listen, God, <laughs> you done carried me through at that stress protest with. <laughs> <laughs> sideways and that was wrong and then on the day of black girl appreciation Vanessa had me drink or whatever that champagne was I promise oh, you God, yeah. I ain't gonna never do God's work again like that so I'm gonna wait till after after put a little yeah let's get into this conversation on Lorraine Hansberry Morgan because first of all this series to me has felt paced well I don't some things are just energetic and I don't even have all the words for what I've been feeling or experiencing lately, but there has been a pacing of energy during the stories that actually meets the pacing of the women's lives we're talking about, where they went deep in their areas of transformation and they went so far in their influence and their bodies of work had so much influence. For me, trying to reflect on like, where do I want to stand in my own leadership and my own legacy? It's just been, I've loved actually learning about the different ways that Black women have shown up in the different ways. It's felt like necessary information to know to even move on to the next phase of where we're moving in the world, like to learn about these women. When we get into this Lorraine Hansberry conversation, and you and I have actually talked about her, I feel like just briefly, where the only thing I can even get out my mouth is that she died at 34 years old. And I've been so perplexed by that, that when I dug deeper, and we'll get into it in a second, I was even more saddened. But we've talked about her, but I feel like I haven't known about her. And so when I was really learning about her over this past week, I was just like, how can I even be moving in the world without knowing about Lorraine Hansberry? Which leads me back to the power of this whole series and us learning about these stories, which is like, I don't even know how we're able to move in the world without knowing about these women. Yeah, it's essential. These stories are essential. And then the through line for me has been I didn't even know what we were talking about when we were talking about cosmonauts. Because you know how we are. We get on the phone. We'd be like, we're doing a cosmonaut series. Women out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody was like, a cosmonaut was a Russian astronaut. We was like, because we ain't in the bounds of the nation. You know, we just be asking. So I'm saying it just sounded cool. But I also knew it was energetic. I understood it yeah. was energetic, too. And there have been so many powerful through lines through these stories of these women. One is around sex and sexuality and how you claim it, own it, and become 
who you are inside in this way that I just would have never expected from this series. The other one is performance and how you perform your identity in a way that whether you're on stage like Josephine Baker or like Lorraine Hansberry, how you define yourself through your yeah. politics in this way. That or is Gladys Bentley, who was the cross-dresser in Harlem, who we talked yeah. about in week yeah. one, who, yeah, you're so right. Or Mom Tabley. Or Mabley, who was like, I'm going to dress like everybody's grandma on stage and become the funniest woman in the world. Like, I don't have to play the game. It's inspiring to me, y'all. Be free. Be free. The last thing I'll say real quick is I was on a podcast with Abiola, who runs Yoga by Biola. On YouTube, she has a lot of free yoga classes. She's an amazing Black yoga instructor. Out of, she's actually Nigerian-American out of Seattle. And I was on a podcast with her yesterday, and she was talking about her own struggles with race and like rage and all these other things. And part of what I've gotten out of this series is the kind of Josephine Baker, y'all ain't finna crush me in your rage. I'm about to just go to Paris. <laughs> just, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a, doctor, a tribe of children from all the different nations and just not being defined solely by blackness, but to really break through to another atmosphere is something that I feel like it's a reminder for all of us that we have that option, that we don't have to be in opposition to whiteness all the time. And it's just a really that. profound breakthrough for me in the series. Well, let's get into her story, Morgan, because it's actually, it's going to cover all the themes you even just talked about. It's like everything just always seems to align in this really powerful way. For those who don't know who Lorraine Hansberry is, she was the first Black female author to have a play performed on Broadway. Her best known work, which is A Raisin in the Sun, transformed storytelling and especially storytelling in the theater world. She wrote Morgan A Raisin in the Sun between her 26th and 27th birthday. And her life, starting at the end, she has had such an impact and such an influence. And she, again, she died at 34 years old. At her funeral, Langston Hughes read a poem, Paul Robeson and Nina Simone sang. And Malcolm X, and we're going to get into this story in a minute, quietly attended three weeks before his assassination, even though he knew he was under death threat. And this is after they had had a very public feud. So I'm going to leave that as a teaser that they were going to get to that in a second. But I wanted to frame this context to say that she was a writer who was squarely within the civil rights movement, squarely within the kind of activist space. And none of her writing was art for art's sake. And she was one of those women who really, really believed the personal is political. But Morgan, the most disturbing thing that I learned before we get into her life and her work, and I don't want it to be about her death, but we are a public health organization and we are trying to save the lives of Black women, not just educate. And she died at 34 years old of pancreatic cancer, Morgan. And I learned that actually her doctors and her loved ones had hid her diagnosis from her and even her doctors, because at the time, this is a time where the people didn't feel like women could handle certain information. And even the medical establishment and doctors around her didn't give her the full breadth of what her diagnosis was, which means that there was a possibility she could have sought treatment earlier, had different types of treatment and actually lived. And this disservice that happens to women and especially Black women where doctors do not listen to us, where we don't have all of the information that we need, where it's just infuriating. And when I learned that she died at 34 of pancreatic cancer and that she was actually late in getting treatment and all these things, I just was like, let this walk today be a lesson for all of us on the call. Let it be a call to action to all of us on the call that we get out in front of our own medical information. That if we need to go to the doctor and have to have someone who's informed, we invite a friend to sit in with us to understand the information. That over this past year, we've been disconnected from our annual appointments and that we try to get back connected to those things. Because 
because our health matters. And to think of what she could have done had she been here, it's just like, it's the tragedy. Yeah. I would even say, even if it's scary, because it feels scary to me to go get those screenings and to go like, and if you're there by yourself, it's scary. And there's this constant fight of like, you know, live for today, live and let live. You know how Black people you know how I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, you know, God have your way kind of thing. But I just imagine if we had had 30 more years of Phyllis Wheatley or 30 more years of Lorraine Hansberry or 20 more years, 50 more years of Fannie Lou Hamer. You know what I mean? Like, it breaks my heart. So I will take you up on that, Vanessa. I will go back and get all the screenings. I haven't been to the doctor in so long, all the screenings that I need as well, too. And from a Girl Trek perspective, I wonder if we couldn't create like some kind of observers program where our members could volunteer when there are women who are alone, who maybe yeah. are not married or don't have kids or maybe a senior citizen or something who just want a sister to sit in a room with them. I wonder if that would be sure a good service for us. Yeah. So let's think yeah, about that. I'm sure we can. Okay. Yeah. Let's think about it. Let's get into her life though, because actually the author Imani Perry, who wrote a book about Lorraine Hansberry, one of the things she said in an interview I was watching, I do think is true. It's almost the opposite of what we've been talking about, but I want to start here. And she was like, well, so much of what people talk about when they think about Lorraine Hansberry's legacy is actually what she could have done if she had lived longer. She was like, but really we should focus on what she did do in 34 years. She was like, because it is just extraordinary. And it was extraordinary. And it went so much past a raisin in the sun. So I want to break it down for those who don't know about her life. First of all, she's a child of the South side of Chicago, Morgan. She was born the youngest of four children. Her mother's name was Nanny Perry Hansberry, and her father's name was Carl Augustus. Her father was a prominent Black businessman and activist in this country. This is also a theme, by the way. This is her legacy, just like Aretha Franklin's father. Her father founded Lake Street Bank, one of the first banks for Black people in Chicago, and he ran a successful real estate business. Her uncle was William Leo Hansberry, who was a famous scholar of African studies at Howard University. Prominent leaders across all sectors, W.E.B. Du Bois, Langston Hughes, Duke Ellington, Jesse Owens, visited her home as she was growing up and were in community with her father. So she grew up with a strong legacy of activism. And in fact, when she was eight years old, Lorraine Hansberry's family deliberately moved into a hostile white neighborhood in Chicago. And I'm going to tell you why. We all have probably heard of redlining, restrictive covenants in which white property owners had agreed not to sell to Black people really created in Chicago, Morgan, these Black belts, these ghettos because of the restrictive covenants that white people had. Well, her father, Carl, actually helped another man who was the president of a big bank there, and they actually secretly bought a property. It was at 413 East 60th Street. And they brought this property in the middle of this white neighborhood, Morgan, so that they could purposely challenge the law. Well, Lorraine Hansberry was eight at the time, and her dad was about it, about it activist, not just a talk about it activist. He moved his family into the house so that they would actually be the ones that if they were going to get forced out, he's like, we're going to stand here and we're going to create new legislation by actually being the first to be in this neighborhood. So they got there and she says she remembers that it was literally hateful mobs that would like surround the house, names that they would call out at them, that her mother actually had to resort to carrying a gun and that at night she would just stay up and pace the house like trying to protect them. And her father was like, no, we are going to stay here because we are going to fight this. And they actually fought it all the way to the 
Supreme Court of Illinois held the legality of the restrictive covenant. And you outside walking because to- I was just thinking, how do you <laughs> like, remember all these facts? Yes. <laughs> I got my notes on my phone. Yeah, I'm outside. Oh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is, it's like an encyclopedic actual brain, y'all. And I'm usually mm-hmm. not that impressed, but I was like, how do you remember the name of the Baptist church? Or the- <laughs> oh, now I got my little notes. So I was literally picturing you. For my point. Yes. I went to Savannah on the river and I do have my notes. And it's funny, sometimes I don't need to notes, but I will say sometimes for me, and Lorraine's story is one of those stories, it's like the richness and the specificity of her uncle's name, yeah. who was a professor at Howard. And those it matters yeah, because there's so many stories within the story. And I want to uplift like her neighborhood, the block. No, I, agree. I was like, these things matter. Yeah. But Morgan, not jokingly, her father put her family's life on the line, literally on the front line, so that they can move into this neighborhood and so that they can fight restrictive covenants. And the Supreme Court of Illinois ruled against them, forced the family out of the house. But this case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes, they upheld. But the U.S. Supreme Court, so this is a landmark decision that was brought upon by Lorraine Hansberry's father from the south side of Chicago, moving his family into a neighborhood to fight restrictive covenants. The U.S. Supreme Court reversed the decision on a legal technicality from the Supreme Court of Illinois. And the case argued that racially restrictive covenants were unlawful, and that marked the beginning of their end across the country. However, and this is why we do the work we do, her father, who was a prominent businessman, a banker, a real estate owner, and who took his case all the way to the Supreme Court, she said it absolutely broke him, Morgan. And she actually said, my father was, and I'm reading this, my father was typical of generations of Negroes who believed that the American way could successfully be made to work to democratize the United States. She said, thus, 25 years ago, He spent a small personal fortune, his considerable talent, and many years of his life fighting in vain, she said, because my memories of this correct way of fighting white supremacy in America included him being spat at, cursed, heard, pummeled in the daily trek to and from school. And she said, and I also remember the desperate courage of my mother trying to protect us during this time. And then she said, she went on to say, she said, the fact that my father and with the NAACP won a Supreme Court decision in a now famous case which bears his name in the law book, she said, is ironically the sort of progress our satisfied friends allude to when they presume to deride the more radical means of struggle. She said, meanwhile, the cost is emotional turmoil, time and money, which led to my father's early death as a permanently embittered exile in a foreign country when he saw that after he had sacrificed everything to grace his court all the way to the Supreme Court to get everything that he actually said this country was going to give him through the proper channels, that his family was still ultimately denied life, freedom, and liberty in this country. And she said it absolutely killed him early and broke him, that he used his money, used his resources, fought through this system, did everything the right way, and to still see what was happening. And she said he died that way. And that is the death that we are trying to avoid, y'all, on this call, on these walk and talks. How do we stay in the struggle, but not die of the struggle? How do we rise to the occasion, but not leave so much of it on the line, Morgan, which you know you and I have talked about from Samuel Hamer to so many other people? 
Yeah, there is a sister who actually listens to Black History Bootcamp. If you're on there, I don't remember your name from last night's podcast, but she was talking about there's a Black scholar who now has really talked about the fatigue of racial rage and how it actually destroys you from the inside out. And so, it, sister, if you listen to that, if you could tweet the resource and use hashtag Black History Bootcamp so we can all read more about it. Yeah, I don't know the answer to it. I just know on an individual basis, I ain't falling for the banana in a tailpipe no more. You know, ain't getting me. Listen. Yeah. Me neither. On my porch, me neither. Talking about the people I love, living a good life. <laughs> like I'm, I'm No, I'm serious. I'm over it. I'm over being in a constant state of rage. And it isn't to say that I don't believe in dismantling the system of white supremacy because I do, Vanessa, and I'm working hard toward it. But I have to do it from a, a place of abundance. I can't do it from a place of yeah. desperation and and poverty and spiritual poverty asking for worth anymore. I'm worthy. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm beautiful. I'm supported. I'm a part of a network of a million black women. And from that asset lens, we're going to dismantle all this shit. But I'm just saying, we ain't going to be dragging. We're going to build our own stuff first. Yeah. That's why my granddaddy's name is Booker T. Morgan. (laughs) Yes. No. Eddie James' dad's name was Booker T. Morgan. I used to be embarrassed because I was thinking I'm more of a Bougie W-E-B-W-E-B. Exactly. But I'm saying, why my granddaddy named Booker T. Morgan? But now I understand because we're going to build our own stuff first. (laughs) Forget all that. Forget all the rest of that stuff. Y'all can have that neighborhood. I started, though, with her family and her background and her father because that is actually what oriented her to the rest of her career. And so I want to actually break down some of the stuff that people know and then talk about the powerful impact that she's had on Black politics, Black activism, Black black everything. So Lorraine, actually, after her family was kicked out of that neighborhood in the north side of Chicago, she ended up going to Inglewood High School, Morgan. She graduated there And that's where she first became interested in theater. She then enrolled in the University of Wisconsin, but she left before completing her degree because, hello, racism in Wisconsin, and it was too much for her, actually. And then she decided to go back to Chicago, and she traveled around, actually, Central and South America studying painting. And then she landed in New York City, and she began her writing career writing for Paul Robeson's Freedom Paper, which was a progressive publication. Her writing at that time actually started to attract the attention even then of the FBI. And this is another thing that we've been talking about. And already by 22 years old, her work was already on the target of the FBI. And Morgan, they had created a dossier about her and the FBI kept close track of all of her work. And in fact, actually, they secretly attended early screenings of A Raisin in the Sun to make sure that they didn't have communist statements in the play. So the FBI was actually tracking her from early on in her career. They was like, ooh, that was a good play. <laughs> sorry, that's ignorant. I'm sorry. No, no, no. They no, no. up in that theater like, ooh, that was good. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I hear you. FBI, come on. Not funnily, though. When we're talking about law enforcement reform right now, and we have said this before, every time I read a story that says the FBI did this or the CIA did this to the people who no, we now Vanessa, are calling our they heroes, destroyed us. I'm like, we know they've this. destroyed they us. They destroyed yeah. us from the inside out, from COINTELPRO to all these informants to following Malcolm all the way to Mecca while he's trying to pray. They have destroyed us from the inside out. I'm just also trying to make light of something in my life because every single story, the FBI, every single... Y'all on Black History Bootcamp, I mean, it's like, what do you want us to do except for fight for our liberty, except for fight for our voices? So we can't even write a play? Right. No, and that's exactly it. 
So thankfully, she continued to write. And she was actually, just to put her life in context, she was a feminist before the feminist movement even started. She actually identified, although she married a man, and we'll get into that in a second, she identified as a lesbian and was actually heavily active in the LGBT organizing. And this is before there was even a gay rights movement. She was anti-colonialist, Morgan, and actually fought heavy against colonialism on the continent and specifically actually contributed to the fight for independence of Ghana itself. So she was a radical in the sense that she said, I saw my father destroyed. I have these gifts and talents around writing, and I'm going to figure out every single way that I can to connect at the intersection of every single movement that matters to me. One, during a, a protest that she had attended in New York City, she actually met a Jewish writer. His name was Robert Nimeroff, and they got married, Morgan. And they married at her home in Chicago. This is an interracial marriage in 1953. Now, a lot of people describe their marriage, which was actually very short-lived. They married when she was like 23 and were already divorced by the time she was 26 as mutually beneficial because he actually became a songwriter and he wrote songs that helped her to finance her early writings, including A Raisin in the Sun. So they had a close relationship, even though she identified as a lesbian. And even after their divorce, she actually designated him as the person over her entire estate. And he is the one who actually ended up putting together to be young, gifted, and Black, which is the story of her life. And to this day, even his descendants have actually really preserved her legacy. So she thought long and hard about this man. And even though they weren't married, to what his role and relationship was going to be in her life. And I actually thought that that was really beautiful. One thing to note, just to show you how powerful she was and how she was not afraid of standing up for herself, is that Malcolm X actually publicly criticized her for being married to a white man. And she publicly clapped back at Malcolm X. And came for him hard in this way that actually he publicly apologized to her. And one of the most touching stories of her funeral is that he was under heavy death threat. And most people had just known them about their public feud, but didn't know that they had actually reconciled. And he was described as quietly coming into her service in the back, even though he knew he was under death threat. And that was only three weeks before he was assassinated. But that's just to show how much she actually meant to him and how much she had had an impact, even though they had this public feud about her being married to this white man. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know A Raisin in the Sun, Morgan, and who haven't watched it, I think we put some resource links in the email. It's arguably the first play to ever portray Black characters, our themes, our conflicts in a natural and realistic manner. Lorraine Hansberry was a South Side girl till you die. She actually said in this really beautiful piece that she wrote about Chicago that our very living is a protest. And she took the title for A Raisin in the Sun from Langston Hughes, who she knew, poem, which talked about a dream. Vanessa, for real, we should do those T-shirts. Our very living is a protest, Lorraine Hansberry. I would wear it every day. I would wear it every day, too. So somebody who's listening is going to get on that, I believe, or we're going to get on it on our our uncle's garage. But coming to y'all soon, there's going to be those T-shirts. I love that, Morgan. And the reason why I love it is that A Raisin in the Sun in particular, it was one of those pieces of work that if you read it actually or even watched it, first of all, the themes were so progressive and a large part of the actual conversation in the play is about marriage and the fact she had a stance that it's not even necessary for women and that women can and should be able to have ambitious career goals. If you could imagine that in the 1950s, this was really dramatic and considered really radical. She talks about abortion in A Raisin in the Sun and connects that to women's choices, their dreams, their career goals. She talks about what 
happens, which is even the, the thread line through Langston Hughes' poem, which is what happens when a dream is deferred and what happens when that festers up to the top. But what I loved about A Raisin in the Sun most is that while when people think of Langston Hughes' poem, I think, and they think of A Dream Deferred, they're always thinking about the rage that's going to bubble over. But A Raisin in the Sun was actually a play about how dreams are crucial to our very existence and how regardless of in whatever circumstance that our dreams are actually what pull us out of those environments, out of that poverty, out of that whatever. And so she talked about what was on the other side of that festering and the possibility of it. The play ended up winning all sorts of awards. It went on to critical acclaim. It still stands today as one of the most successful plays on Broadway, one of the most successfully distributed plays in the academic world. And she had a, such a dramatic influence after the play was written that James Baldwin, who was actually one of her closest friends, and James Baldwin actually said of her that there was no decisions he really could make before he actually ran them by Lorraine. He actually invited her to a gathering that he was having with Kennedy and a bunch of people at the White House because he was like, you have the voice of the people. She actually declined because she was like, Kennedy ain't doing enough for me to show up at the White House. And she declined. She was like, he should show something better. But he invited her there because he understood that she could communicate on behalf of the people in a way that no one had ever done. So just to wrap up her story, after A Raisin in the Sun was released, she did divorce from her husband. Didn't she ended up going um, to that meeting, though, with James Baldwin and Paul Robeson. I thought they were all there. She didn't go. It was like a really important civil rights meeting. She did go to one meeting, but it wasn't with JFK. So whoever she went to the meeting with, I know it wasn't with JFK because I know for the JFK. Oh, with Robert I know Kennedy. that she did attend. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, Kennedy. yeah, the other yeah. Kennedy. Yeah, but when JFK mm-hmm. was in the White House, she declined to come specifically to the White House because she was like, oh, I, I want see. them to actually show, exactly, show what they were doing. I but see. yeah, she was a part yeah. of some significant meetings. And there's a really great documentary that we put a link to about her, Morgan, and it's called Sighted Eyes, Spilling Heart. It's a film that really goes beyond her activism to talk about, for example, her sexuality. She was actually well known on the lesbian bar circuit in Manhattan. She was a real scholar of French feminist works. And it talked about exactly what you are talking about as you're sitting on your porch, which is she was like, I don't know if I want to anymore put myself at sacrifice in the way my dad put us in that house. And I want to find the softness and the fluidity. And she grapples with this publicly in this way that she's like, this was a great sacrifice, this work we're doing. And I want to find some of that softness. So that was kind of one of her orientations. And then the last thing I'll yeah, say is Yeah, it's hard that, because there, Blackness has a value to me. And for generations, we've defined Blackness and I love it. And I love being Black. And I don't want to be only defined by my Blackness because it reduces me. And so that is the tension. It's the yeah. tension. Like you could fill lifetimes with defining your own blackness, but we only have one life. So every single day we have to wake up and also ask ourselves, who are we beyond that? Who are we beyond our trauma, beyond our blackness, beyond the fight, the fight all the time? Yeah. You know what I mean? So no, I feel her. I feel her. I can't wait. I didn't watch that film. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. We started today's episode with Nita Simone to be young, gifted, and Black. There's a speech that she gave to the winners of, it's a famous speech now, to the winners of a United Negro College Fund writing competition, which, by the way, shout out, like, United Negro College Fund has been holding it down for us, y'all, for a long time. Telephones <laughs> and just, but like, they 
some art institutions. Y'all go like, donate. They have go been donate. holding. Yes. yes, go donate. Because even I'm sure even I got a little something, five hundred dollars from the United Negro College Fund or something. But it's like there's so few. You better give that five hundred dollars back, Vanessa. Oh, I, look, give it back. I will. I, <laughs> look, why you call me out today? Actually, I will. I promise. I promise. Check in on me tomorrow. That was so funny. I will. You know but, they go so send you like giving, a certificate or something. We want to see the certificate. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're gonna send me a monthly reoccurring donation slip. Of which I should be like, yes, put your money where your mouth is. That's what they're going to do. But in that speech, Morgan, to those students, she said something that became what she is known for, which is, and kind of even along this lines of who are we? She said, I can think of nothing more dynamic than to be young, gifted, and Black. And that speech actually is considered one of the first speeches that even uplifted the idea of Black capital B, as a thing to be proud of and exceptional in this way that it had actually not been presented before. And then it was her ex-husband who took that to be young, gifted, and Black, and then used that as the title for what then would become her biography, which has a lot of her like journal entries and all sorts of stuff in there. But she says it twice, and I listened to this two times, she says it twice in the speech, and she actually says, so doubly dynamic so doubly dynamic to be young, gifted, and Black. And that is where I want to leave on this conversation with Morgan, with everyone asking themselves, no matter what age we are right now, if we could even go back and reconsider with the orientation that we are young, gifted, and Black right now. I don't care if you're 43 or 59, the spirit of what she is saying, that there, it's doubly dynamic for us to be in this space. I feel like it will push all of us around what are our dreams. And that goes back to the dream deferred that she talked about and the raisin in the sun and everything. And what are the dreams and the hopes that we have for ourselves if we know that, in fact, there is nothing more dynamic than for us to be young, gifted, and Black? What would we dream for ourselves? So I don't know my answers. I've shared a lot of my answers, I feel like, actually over the last couple of weeks because this has been a reoccurring theme. But I really actually hope that learning about Lorraine Hansberry today pushes people to think about what are the possibilities of their lives, especially considering that she did all of the things that we just talked about, Morgan, before the age of 34 years old. And in fact, the speech that she gave to the United Negro Fund writing competition, she left the hospital, showed up in person, gave that speech, and she died about a month later. Mm. It was a very hopeful story until you just said that last part. That's so sad. That's so sad to me. When I was getting dressed this morning, I listened to the assistant pastor at my church, and he was talking about being specific with what you ask God for in your life. He said, be specific with what you want today. He said, not even in your life, but today. What do you want God to do for you today? Do you want to be able to articulate your words so that you can really get your ideas out? Do you want to be able to have loving friendships and and call people? Like, what do you want today? And be specific Mm -hmm. about that dream or that prayer or that aspiration or that affirmation and do it on almost a daily basis. Because I think people like what we were talking about with Phyllis Wheatley about like, what is at the horizon? What's at the edges of your life that you're going for? I think that can be intimidating for people. I think sometimes we have to wake up and name one word for today. Today is absolute relaxation. Or today, I feel satisfied. I want to feel satisfied, God, all day today. Or I want to feel satisfied. However you frame kind of your aspirations in life, I do it through prayer. And so it's just like, I think sometimes people like Lorraine Hansberry the level of like impact that she had in those short years means that she had like a really powerful process 
for how to motivate herself yeah. every single day. And so it's it's something that I think you and I have, Vanessa. We wake up every morning and be like, yesterday was terrible. Yeah. Today is going to be this. <laughs> and like, just name it. So just encouraging women out there. If yesterday was terrible for you, maybe even today was terrible for you. Name the next hour. Set an affirmation yeah. for the next hour. Yes, yeah. Morgan. And if you've been in a season of struggle, one thing I will ask everyone to do is to ask yourself, where did you let go of your own dreams? And where have you, because I think this happens all the time, internalized a almost resentment towards yourself for letting those dreams go? Because that's the sadness of what happens, right? That's the sadness that lives in our bones that we can't shake off. When we don't actually pursue what God has planted inside of us, when we don't water no, the that's deferred. Yeah, that's, that's what deferred. my was talking about. That's deferred. And you know, it's interesting when I was, I think I was like 19 or something like this. I don't know if I ever told you this, but you know, I went to USC and I only went there because they gave me the more financial aid than UCLA and UC Berkeley. I only applied for three schools and I went to USC and I had no idea it was a film school. I know that sounds ignorant in retrospect, but I didn't. I had no idea Steven Spielberg went there and all this stuff. So my sophomore year, I'm driving down the 101. I remember with Klein, and I said, I think I want to be a filmmaker. And he crushed that dream so effectively, Vanessa. He was my boyfriend at the time. He was older. He was just like, well, first of all, you got to finish this business degree so we can uh, elevate our community and we can blah 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 blah. I mean, it was like an articulate crushing of my dream. And he was like, and who do you know who's a filmmaker? Nobody right now. So what we got to do is build this money, build this wealth. I mean, he like got in it and I let it go that easy. I let my own dream go that easy, Vanessa. I was like, you're right. I don't know filmmakers. You're right. I got to make But you know what, Morgan? You've come back to it. And maybe that's the like maybe everybody can come back to their dreams. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what but that, and that's the lesson that though is what I'm saying yeah. is don't be letting your dreams go that easy for some whoever. Yeah. You know, because he has fear. Yeah. Don't let people pour fear onto your dreams. That's the real yeah. lesson. Now that I'm 43, looking back at that 19 year old, I wish somebody on a Black History Boot Camp would have said, "Don't let no man yeah. pour fear on your dreams." Yeah. Don't let it happen. Hold fast to it. Even if it's impossible in your own imagination, hold fast to your dreams because it's planted there and it's a calling on your life. And so I'm just saying, I could have already been Ava DuVernay, but now I'm going to have to be a geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still doing it. Don't you worry. I done made me some YouTube clips. <sighs> I'm still coming for it. So thank you for this story today. It was really yes. inspiring. I didn't know. Yes. And please, that please tweet us, y'all, and tell us what dreams you're coming for still, just like Morgan's coming for her dreams, because I believe in putting that intention out there. We're going to get ready to close. Actually, we're going to play this song that I just really loved from Lettucey to close us out. Before we do that, though, Morgan, shout out to our community live while we were on this. Someone texted me. I don't even have this person's name. And they said the book that Morgan just mentioned is Black Fatigue by Mary Frances Winters. So I just wanted awesome. to put that book title out there. It's Black Fatigue by Mary Frances Winters. And thank you to whoever texted that to us. And now we're going to close out, y'all. There is so much we complain about. Today, tomorrow, it's not promised. Much you wanna get done, oh. Here comes another setback. 
Don't look back, it's time to wake up. Stand 